This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage in an emerald and navy striped jumper that makes him look a little bit leprechaun-like, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Along this cold, foggy, but now bright morning over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson, who's in baby pastel pink, dare I say. <laughs> it's not a clue to gender, by the way. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, but well, I... I have just discovered it fits over bump and any clothing that fits over bump is is good news in my wardrobe. Perfect for radio. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, we have a very special episode for you today. I'm obviously lucky enough to be based in Cambridgeshire. I regularly pop along to the Cambridge University Botanic Garden, which is famous for all manner of collections, loads of, of snowdrops to be enjoyed on their snowdrop trail and fabulous mature trees. The glass houses are really something else. And almost every day of the year when you go there, you can see some spectacular orchid in flower. And so we thought, who better to do an orchid special for us on Talking Dirty than members of the glass house team at the Botanic Garden. So Luigi Leone, I'll get your title right, glass house and nursery team leader. Uh, we have on one side of the sort of potting bench in the uh, the potting shed at the Botanic Garden. We also have Phil Gould with us, who is, believe me, I've interviewed him in the past, a fantastic knowledge on orchids. Was it 40 years experience so far, Phil? 40 plus. <laughs> and it gets a bit hazy for <laughs> 1980. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to your orchid collection, uh, Luigi, how many do you have and uh, and how, how hard is it to get them all into flower, for starters? Um, I'm not sure about the precise number, but I think we have probably a few thousand uh, accessions. Um, and um, we do have different genera. And of course, there are some very reliable genera that are quite easy to bloom every year. And as Phil can confirm, there are some really, you know, showstoppers that every year perform very well and they're just very reliable. Uh, and then I guess there are some species that decide to bloom and then maybe die or uh, <laughs> don't really, they're not as tamed as others. Yeah, I think the thing to remember is that uh, orchids come from every continent apart from Antarctica. We're talking about tropical orchids. It's a huge swathe. You've got very different climactic conditions. And so everything we do here is a compromise. We try and we say we try and replicate the conditions that they have at home. But, you know, it, it, it is a challenge. And some do better than others. And when you think of a botanic garden, you think, oh, all that space, how wonderful. But it's botanic <laughs> gardens, as you know, are always we haven't got space. And in a way, the more successful we are with um, growing orchids, we divide them up. We then have from one plant, we have two or three plants and even less space. 
<laughs> so, so that's the problem. That's the problem. Just Alan, this so reminds me of you talking about your garden. He's got 32 acres and you've got numerous yeah. glass houses. Ooh. And everyone thinks, therefore, you've got acres and acres to play with. But inevitably, you have the space, especially glass houses, you fill it up. You do. I mean, I had something that the Cambridge Botanic Garden is, is um, Cambridge University Botanic Garden, I beg your pardon, is famous for, of course, is their jade vine. Um, and I mean, I do know that that particular area in the glass house w- wing there is very, very hot compared to lots of the other greenhouses. And I'm wondering whether I've got enough heat to actually keep this thing. Somebody gave me one the other day. Gave <laughs> oh, you one? Uh, yeah, they raised it from seed. I hope it is what it says it is. But well, uh, I tell you what, Alan, if it's not what it says it is, I, I, I decided to keep Sturm on something before this podcast. Luigi, would you like to leap in? Yes, uh, I was following the previous podcast that you had with Alex Summers when he was supervisor of the Glass House, and uh, you had mentioned the jade vine back then, and I think there was a sort of half promise of a plant. Yeah, I think since then, um, Barbara, one of the members of the team of the Glass House, uh, produced a, some seeds and some plants, and here's yeah. one we made earlier. <laughs> a plant here. Uh, we are going to share with you. Oh, how fantastic. That's fabulous. Well, so that is huge. How, how big have they got to be before they flower? Uh, I'm not sure. Our specimen is quite big. But, yeah. uh, you know, if I think of wisteria, which in a way, you know, behaves a little bit the same, from seed, it takes about 10 years to actually bloom. So <laughs> I think it will take some time. Yeah. <laughs> well, see me out. <laughs> Well, that's a huge plant. I mean, I maybe I should have done some pre-prep. I wanted it to be a surprise. Who would have thought that someone would give you a random jade vine seedling? You've got some before? very good friends, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy imported the seed from, from California, and, and I don't think he expected it to, to germinate. And, of course, he got this plant, and it suddenly started clambering up his um, bathroom blind. He didn't know what to do with it. I think he rather panicked. So when we had our snowdrop day, he turned up with it and said, hi, I'm David. I've got a jade vine in the car for you. <laughs> but it's very, very small. It's nothing like the one that you've got there, Luigi. I mean, it is just a baby. Yeah. I killed mine <laughs> without any difficulty at all. But, but they do need a lot of heat. Now, did you ever know Morris Mason? Oh, yes, VMH. Yes. Yes. Um, he, that, well, I was just going to say that he had a, a, a glass house in his a Talbot Manor where he lived in near Kings Lynn. Um, and it's the first time I ever really sort of showed any interest in an orchid. In fact, I didn't really know anything about them at all. I was about 19 years old and I went into this orchid house and there was a particular orchid there. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was it was mottled, um, sort of kind of almost like dried blood and cream coloured flowers. And it smelt of vanilla. Oh, I wonder if that's a Celia. Celia Bella. This is Italian, is it? <laughs> it sounds much better than Italian. Celia Bella. <laughs> Lovely, yeah. Puccini. Uh, <laughs> all right. I tell you what, let, let's have a deal here. We'll all shut up and Luigi, you talk and we'll just listen. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> I mean, I've been in this position for less than a year and 
there is definitely a lot that I'm learning with Phil about the Orchid Collection, so I'm really but happy. Phil will tell you, Luigi, that you never stop learning, ever. No, absolutely. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I still have imposter syndrome. I'm trying to shake it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, for somebody that's been growing orchids, I'd just like to know, you must have one particular uh, plant that you regard as your triumph, something that you've succeeded at that perhaps not many other people have. Mm, at home, with my collection at home? That's, that's a very good question and one I wasn't expecting. <laughs> um, Put you on the spot. I, no, I'm going to dodge that altogether by saying, because people always say, what's your favourite orchid? Which is not the question you ask me, um, which is what politicians do. They answer a different question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So I'm not going to answer your question, but by saying that my favourite orchid is the one I've rescued, that... <laughs> Was going looks as if it's going to die, and it's it's come back, and it and it's doing well. Um, I think that's a fair rare, enough answer because people say to me, "What is your favourite part of the garden?" And it happens to be where I'm working because that's what I'm exactly. that's what I'm focused on. Exactly. Christopher Lloyd used to be asked that question. He said, "What's your favourite plant?" He said, "The one I'm looking at." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which neatly gets around um, stupid <laughs> question. <you know. laughs> expletives deleted yeah rarity is a quite a complex issue because are they rare because they're not many in the wild are they rare because they're difficult to access are they rare because they're difficult to grow uh do you have the right people to know to to get hold of it but I, i will say about three or four years ago the rhs orchid committee came up here and all the gods were there it was like a who's who of (laughs) Uh, of orchids and uh, I showed them around and um, I put some orchids out hoping to impress and one which was a very unprepossessing orchid called a polystachia which by the way is only one of two genera which are pantropical all over the world all over the tropics and had really very uninspiring flowers and he stopped and said oh that's interesting I said, oh, really? He said, yes, I was the first to describe that. It's from Madagascar, from Mount something or other with an unpronounceable name. And uh, he said, I don't think that's growing anywhere else in the country. So there you are. Yeah, so you never know. (laughs) So you did the right thing. That was the right plant to get out to impress. Absolutely. Absolutely, (laughs) yes. My new best friend. (laughs) And certainly when I've been to the Botanic Garden, um, you're kind of described as the the man who will coax non-flowering orchids into bloom. So, I mean, how how common is it that there's one that you come across that hasn't been playing ball? And and how difficult is it for you, with all of your years of expertise, to figure out what needs to happen to make it happy? The trouble with that is that um, you do something and it works. And you think, well, that's why, or you change something and it works. And then it blooms. You say, well, that's why. But it's not. perhaps it's just, just because. Maybe the climatic conditions outside had changed. Maybe the uh, cold snap had... Uh, that's a good way to getting orchids to reflower or reluctantly flower is by dropping the temperature a few degrees. That's what the Dutch do with all their phalaenopsis, uh, which they grow by the tens and tens of thousands. Zillions. Yeah. Millions, yes. Yeah. I once heard that a uh, sorry. Am I rabbiting on? <laughs> no, just stop Good me break. to kick, yeah. me under, <laughs> kick me under the table. Uh, 
I heard there was a glass house in Holland, um, which was a mile long and about half a mile wide, with three employees. <sighs> All the rest was done by robots. Well, extraordinary. Uh, and that is how there are so many phalaenopsis in supermarkets. Yeah, yes, my point sensors. was that, that they at, at week seven or week 11, they dropped the temperature so that on week 24, the first bud is about to open uh, and they go for a Dutch auction, which is the opposite to our auctions where it starts off high and goes low. And are you brave enough to put in a bid thinking it's going to go lower? Well, once the, the auctions are won, they're packed away onto a lorry uh, and in the supermarkets the, the next day. Phalaenopsis, obviously, the most famous, really, the most grown orchid, uh, the most widely on sale. If people have those and they think, Do you know what, I'm pretty good with Phalaenopsis, I'd like to branch out, I want to extend my expertise and my collection, where should they go from there? What are the next sort of two or three types they should try? I could say, based on our experience also in the Botanic Garden, and also based on my experience as a grower at home, um, I would say probably Cattleyas and Lelias are quite reliable genera. And in fact, Cattleyas were very much um, in fashion in the past. They were quite commonly grown before sort of Phalaenopsis and uh, Dendrobium sort of flooded uh, the market. Um, well, as a small anecdote, um, uh, when Queen Elizabeth got married, her bouquet was uh, made out of white cattleyas. Mm. Uh, so there were really fashionable flowers uh, sort of at the beginning of the 1900. And they are very easy to grow. Uh, they come from the dry forests of uh, South America. And uh, they have these sort of thick, flashy roots in a similar way in which Phalaenopsis sort of uh, do. And there is a sign of an orchid that potentially is able to withstand uh, drought. And the other sign is also the thick leaves. Uh, so they're quite thick, leathery leaves, very hard. You just look at it and you, in a way, see that they can withstand drought and sort of less care than other sort of more delicate or uh, humid requiring orchids. What I would say, what I, I've spent years trying to persuade people to grow other orchids other than Phalaenopsis. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough uh, because they want something they recognise as an orchid um, and, and it's easy to grow and is bomb-proof. People still manage to kill them. Mainly, uh, it's because they overwater them. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, it's tropical, I must water them. And that's what kills them. It's very difficult to kill a phalaenopsis, but people... Find a way. Yes. Um, <laughs> and if you can be of any reassurance. They drown it, Phil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can be of any reassurance, I'm reading uh, this very interesting book that talks about the social history of orchids. Even the, you know, first Europeans that came about tropical orchids, um, they spent nearly 60, 70 years killing them. <laughs> they couldn't really understand how to grow them. It took them a very long time to actually, in a way, crack the code and understand how to do it. And not because it's difficult, it's just that at the time they had great misconceptions about how to grow orchids. How easy are Vanda orchids to grow? They, they're not really suitable for the home. They need a lot of everything. They need a lot of heat, they need a lot of light lot of humidity uh, and a lot of feed if they're not in a glass house that can be quite tricky 
However, yeah. having said that, uh, the cultivars, the hybrids that come out now, which you can buy at the supermarket, uh, one way of doing it is, uh, well, you know, they have a lot of aerial roots. Yeah, well, I've seen them pinned to a piece of bark. Yes, that's difficult. Yes. Uh, either you, you soak them every day and ruin your carpet. <laughs> um, if you're a sad orchid grower living by himself, and well, that's all right. But um, one way of doing it is putting them in a in a, a long vase, yeah, with all the aerial roots stuffed inside, yeah. Put it with rainwater. Hopefully, you can get rainwater, and let the roots soak. And you can tell when they're really soaked; they go green. Uh, then you take the orchid out of the vase, empty the water, because you don't want the roots sitting in water. And there you have a microclimate, uh, a very humid, put them on a bright position, and they will flower. But vanda species, I think they're different. I wouldn't recommend them uh, to be grown at home. Right. Trying them in a pot. I've, I've... We recently uh, made a purchase, Phil and I, together. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to grow some vandas at home in pot. But it's a bit of an experiment. Uh, so I'm trying to grow them a little bit like Phalaenopsis. So in bark, yeah. in a plastic pot. Uh, you know, is, it, is, it, is it clear pot? Yes. So, so the light gets to the roots. roots are doing as well, which I yeah. think is important. Basically, orchid roots, uh, I think as Phil was saying before, um, um they are green, which means they are sort of wet and humid and they have, um, you know, they can photosynthesize. Yeah. And when they actually become sort of whitish, when it's time to water them again. So the transparent pots really help because you, you know, you can see what the roots are doing and how now, much. I've got a couple of experts sitting here in front of me. Thought is, would you mind if I ask a question? <laughs> Go for <laughs> it. <laughs> it. It's, it's, it concerns a dendrobium, which I was given. And I went to see uh, this old gentleman, and he said to me, would you like one of these orchids? And I said, well, they look, they look very nice. He got this thing, and it was trailing all along the top of the curtain poles and everything in his house, and it was blooming. And I said, well, what do I plant it in? He said, rubbish. I said, I beg your pardon, what do you mean? He said, rubbish, they'll grow in anything. <laughs> and I take it to mean that the compost is not important to it. And it has masses of these roots. And you just saying, Luigi, that the roots are white and you Phil said green and so on and so forth. Um, green is when they're hydrated. Um, I have this dendrobium. It's sitting in a pot of rubbish. I, I water it occasionally. The water goes straight the way through. It has masses of aerial roots, all of which are white. Mm. Now, am I not making those wet enough? Uh, it all depends the time of the year. There's no flowers either. No, uh, it, it's a bit tricky because there are different types of dendrobiums who said life was easy. <laughs> um, but they they like bright light. Uh, and uh, as with all orchids, they like a, a wet, dry cycle. Soak them and let them dry out. You can, uh, are they growing on a windowsill? No, they're growing in, they're growing in my orangery, which has got, um, it's, um, it, they wouldn't probably get any sunlight at all, but they're in bright light and they've got overhead light. Well, that, that that's perfect. I think the only thing that you have to watch is if they the atmosphere is too dry. Mm. Uh, so uh, uh, to spray them regularly, spray, spray yeah. the aerial roots. If you if you're growing orchids in the home, you have one advantage over people who have orchid, you know, glass houses, is that you can change the position of the plants from season to season. For yeah. instance. 
in the in the summer you want to um avoid direct sunlight so you might put them on an east or west windowsill mm -hmm. and in the winter when they want as much light as possible in our benighted north hemisphere uh <laughs> winters uh you can put them on the south facing windowsill so you actually have an advantage to, to whiz them around i don't know if i've answered your question but the important thing is that what you said that they're growing a load of rubbish is that it's it's well draining rubbish oh, the water just goes straight through it that's yeah. that's exactly what they want. They want yeah. to be soaked and dry out, which is really what what we're saying about wet dry cycle. I think I think from what you've said so far in this conversation is that the aerial roots are not becoming hydrated enough. Mm. Yes. I need spray. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, and as I said, uh, ha with anything that produces aerial roots, they need to be sprayed regularly in in the in the summertime. Yeah. 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 yeah I think in a home environment or you know even glass house which in a way looks like a sort of orangerie type of environment so quite dry sort of mediterranean i think it's a challenge to grow orchids epiphytically so which means on a bark with the then orchid. i shall take your challenge sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah let, let us know how you get on yes. <laughs> and show us the flowers and i, I want <laughs> All credit for all <laughs> well, he's the man who gets the reluctant orchids to flower, so I'm, I'm sure we no, can best of luck. Best <laughs> Thank of luck. you. But, but seriously, what what we would really like to do is to encourage people to to grow species, uh, other or to grow orchids other than phalaenopsis and symbidiums because it's possible, and we can give it a, a, a recommendations of which ones to grow. Uh, our good friends at Spisotics Orchids, they will advise you uh, which orchids are going to be best for your environment. Right. Um, and there are there are really lots. And you'll and the excitement when you actually flower something for the first time. I cannot believe I've done this. I've, people say that about Phalaenopsis. It's flowering. It's flowering. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I said it about cymbidiums. <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 the big thing about cymbidiums, and I've said this so many times, is that the common story about cymbidiums is that they bought it in flower. It's been fantastic flower for weeks, and it's never flowered since. Yeah. And why is that? And it's because you're being too kind, basically. Um, plants want to reproduce. That's why they flower. If they're in a nice, cosy, warm house, they think, why do we need to flower? We're being well looked after here. Uh, we get watered when we need it. We get some lovely food. We'll just grow that more and more leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing to do with save with cymbidiums is to, as with a lot of orchids, which is another thing I wanted to say, is that if you put them outside in the summer, after the uh, danger of frosts, like whenever that is, May, end of May, uh, stick them under an apple tree. Make sure they're well watered if it's a dry spell. Uh, keep them out of direct sun. Uh, they've got all the air circulation they need. Uh, they've got brightness. Uh, and then at the end of September, when the sort of autumn's looming, you'll bring them back in again. I suppose if you um, if you put it outside and it's getting those temperature fluctuations much more than it would in the house, does that sort of exactly. tie that, in uh, with that temperature that's drop? That's exactly right. What they need is a diurnal temperature change, which is sometimes difficult to do in, uh, in the house. Mm -hmm. Houses are very uh, dry, comfortable, which mm -hmm. is great for humans. 
you can actually find loads of interesting orchids that you wouldn't find in in a you know uh, shop with different shop. forms with different yes. uh, shapes and forms that which you wouldn't recognize as being an orchid it so happens yay this is an angricum uh, which is the same genus as darwin's orchid and Greek and sesquipedale, you know the story of Darwin's orchid? No. Well, Darwin has a special uh, association with the, the Botanic Gardens here, and he got a flower. I don't know, would it have been a press flower or whatever? I don't uh, know. I think it was a specimen blooming in the UK, if I'm correct. And yeah. he looked at the spur, and based on his um, uh, theory of evolution, he thought, okay, that spur must be fitting the proboscid of a moth so it was a very long spur probably this length it's it, well sesqui pedali is all latin not uh, scholars know is means a foot and a half but uh it's not as, <laughs> as with uh, most men they're always <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's not quite that but uh he did he did work he he posited I think that's the first time I've used that word on it. <laughs> uh, there would be a pollinator, a, a, a hawk moth, because it's night scented, mm -hmm. with the proboscis equal to the length, so he could get right to the bottom of this spur where all the nectary is. Mm -hmm. And everybody poo pooed this. Then 40 years later, I think after his death, yes. this moth was discovered. Yes. Uh, a hawk moth with a proboscis, which goes out like a, you know, those Christmas. <laughs> Party horn. <laughs> yeah, it actually unrolls. Um, and if you if you trawl through YouTube, you might there is film of this crazy American uh, botanist who's sat in the jungles of Madagascar for possibly weeks with a night vision camera, waiting for this moth, and he, he finally got it on on camera. It's the most fantastic sight. So yes. Darwin was vindicated. <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice story. And we have uh, a large plant of uh, Angricum sesquipedale, which at the moment has got three flower spikes. Yes, so we mean to bloom so... going, in the next couple of weeks, as long as the cockroaches don't get it first. <laughs> <laughs> and so this one you've you've got for show and tell is related. Yeah, it's yes. the same. It's the same genus. And if you look carefully, it's, it's got a little spur. Can you see? I don't know if you I can think see it. Has to be. <laughs> um, let's use your fleece as a background. <laughs> so there is the yeah. spur. Oh, there yeah. is the spur, yeah. 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 So there is this is where the petals are, and there is the spur. And of course, this is a very small specimen. This scripidale is much bigger. Orchid stories are great. Uh, they have these backstories. Uh, and in the golden years of uh, orchid mania in the late 19th century, these orchid, these rich people sent their orchid hunters out. Uh, to bring back the latest sensation and increase their not only their wealth but their reputation. Uh, and these poor collectors sometimes disappeared without without trace, dying of disease or occasionally being murdered by rival collectors. <laughs> so it's an extraordinary story. Yes, there are. There is a story of an auction. Um, basically, at a certain point, the price of orchids was becoming so high and so high also because of the stories that the orchids came with and um, i think there was this orchid that was auctioned growing on a skull <laughs> just to sort of portray this idea of murder and danger that was coming from the jungles 
<laughs> and also, I, I think as as Phil was saying, loads of uh, plants were raided in the in the forest, also because they actually didn't know that orchids had tiny, tiny seeds that could be reproduced. Like when they looked at the seeds of orchids, they are really dust-like. Yeah. They're so small. You know, they thought it was just dust. They <laughs> hadn't recognized them as proper seeds. So, yeah. Fortunately, now, if you go to see an orchid in the wild, hopefully less uh, risk of another orchid person murdering you. Um, but I, I don't know if you've both been to see orchids in the wild, but I, I feel like when I've spoken to you, Phil, you have gone off to to experience them in their natural habitat in situ which must be extraordinary so i've been to thailand twice uh on orchid tours run by a, a, an english guy who who li has lived out there for a long time speaks appalling thai <laughs> um and uh with a manchester accent on him. um and uh it's very important because he he got he gets all the permits knows all the ranges and the protected areas and knows when and where to find the orchids. There's no, it's no good going there and thinking you're going to find epiphytic orchids growing in the wild. You'd be very, very lucky because you've got to be there at the right time, in the right place, nowhere to look, which is usually about 20 meters up a tree because they're <laughs> literally, you see a glint of yellow or something. And the challenge is to identify it from. Uh, that's why if you, if you see a photograph of an orchid tour, everyone's <laughs> bashing into things and tripping up. But yeah, that, that's uh, if you're interested in, in that. And of course, you learn a lot of how they how they grow. Uh, Talking of which, and I, I don't want to forget to mention it, because if people are watching this when it goes out into the world, they still have time to book onto your orchid course, which is mid-March, I think. Yes. 14th of March, if I'm correct. Yes, uh, there will be uh, a one one day from 10 until 4 um, course on uh, understanding orchids. So uh, this year will be only me, but hopefully next year will be Phil and I uh, giving this course on basically how to grow orchids, a bit the social history of orchids and what actually makes an orchid, you know, what what distinguish orchids from other, other plants. And uh, yeah, this is the course about. Yeah. So so head to the, the Botanic Garden website. I mean, there are loads of courses. There are all kinds of botany and every kind of you know type of plant covered. So uh, not just orchids. But if you do happen to be watching this, if you've been pronto as soon as it's published into the world, then you should still be able to book a place on, on that course. And if not, like you said, there's always next year. Um, show and tell <laughs> then. Behind you, there are more beautiful things luring uh, us in. Shall we show this bulb of film? Yes. Oh. This is a bulb of film. Largest genera, uh, genus, I'm sorry, of the orchid world, 2,000 species, pan-tropical. And one of the biggest in, na like in nature altogether. So it's quite an impressive genus. Yeah. Uh, some of them are foul-smelling, malodorous. <laughs> the most the famous one is we've managed to flower, which caused a big stink in more ways than one. It's <laughs> uh, uh, Barbophyllum phalaenopsis, which is... Pollinate, one of the ones pollinated by carrion flies and carrion beetles, which stinks. I mean, really, it's bad. For that reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they, they think it's um, Egon Tone, you know? it's uh... And and more just than that, the, the flower itself, is it's so clever how plants do this. I mean, it looks almost like it's got little maggots on it. Yes, and it looks like it's got the colour and, and of rotting meat. 
which is uh, nearly always red or, or degrees of red. And uh, it's also a place to, for them to lay their eggs. And it, the, all the stink means something to them, you know, Valentine's Day equivalent, <laughs> I suppose. Well, <laughs> smelly barbell films. Anyway, this is another barbell film. Now, I don't know if it, it doesn't really show, I guess, in camera. It's the most delicious thing. It's Baba Fulham yes. Saltatorium oh. variety something or other, or it's on the yeah, label, isn't it? Ciliatum, I think. Yeah. And it's got, every orchid has, one of the characteristics of orchid is its lip, which is one of the, the petals, generally down the bottom of the plant, which is either increased in uh, size or different colour, different shape. And it's to uh, send a message out to the uh, pollinators, you know, Come and get me, boys. <laughs> uh, and with this one, it, it's just so delicious. And unlike bubble films, it flowers and flowers for a long, long time. It's yes. been flower for a couple of months now. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm so I think this is the one I saw, and I think I've sent a photo to Alan. So Bulbophyllum saltatorium, something That's like it. that. Yeah. And it's like someone's attached a tiny bit of pink feather boa yes. to that. That's right. Yeah, if you, well, this is silly because you won't be able to see this, but if you blow it, blow through it. It's fantastic. So they're, they're, they're all shapes and sizes. A lot of them people say, is that an orchid? Mm. You know, which is a fair question. When you say the bottom lip, um, you know, is attracting a, a particular pollinator, that little bit of feather boa, what, what is it luring in? Uh, well, I think, so you were, you were mentioning before about the uh, pollination of uh, Bulbophallum phalaenopsis, and that is in a way quite defined pollination uh, system mechanism. With this one, I don't think there is a precise, like I don't think we know enough to say, but there is a theory that potentially those are meant to resemble uh, sort of hair of a of an animal, so of a dead carcass, which is something that also stapeliads do. So like stapelia uh, gigantea, they have this furriness that I think is meant to, um, um, yeah, resemble basically a dead animal. And the fact that the labellum is meant to move, which is a characteristic of bulbophyllums, they have this sort of unhinged uh, labellum, is actually to attract the attention of the pollinator. So it's a movement that tries to catch the attention. Another thing is that they, uh, uh, the scent sends out pheromones as well, which uh, gets the male very excited, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I was just so pleased that's still in flower because um Yeah, it's yes. just coming to the end now, but uh yeah, it's a real winner. Yeah. yeah. One of one of those I mean, orchid, yeah. orchids do tend to stop you in your tracks. I mean, you it's hard to make progress down down the kind of main corridor at the botanic garden because there are pots of them everywhere and you kind of want to stop and look at all of them. But I suppose you get that extra extraordinary element which which really, you know, you don't see very often bits of feather poa on uh, on flowers. So. <laughs> Um, they last They last for a long time, those flowers. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons Phalaenopsis are so popular is they're so that those fleshy flowers last for a long time. But I suppose it's not true of all of them, that some come and go much quicker. Some of them last for a day. Unless you get here before lunch, you've missed them. <laughs> uh, no, literally. Uh, which make, it makes you think they're very confident of uh, their pollinators. Mm. You know, and you could also say that Orchids that flower for a long time are less confident. I don't know. 
No, but it makes I never thought about it like that, but it makes perfect sense. How disappointing, yeah. though, if you've spent years trying to get something into flower and it's come and gone before you even get the chance to see it. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, well I, know, I know orchid growers who uh amateurs who take their orchids home on, uh, take them away on holiday with them. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, you're waiting for something to flower, especially something you've never flowered before, and it, you're getting nearer and nearer to it opening and also getting nearer and nearer to when you're driving down to Gatwick or whatever. And it's a, it's a terrible thing, which you know by the time they come back, they'll, they'll just have finished flowering. But this this guy, I know, took them away with him. Uh, not abroad, but, you know, to yeah. the wherever he was going i would do that i i couldn't take um an erythronium last year i had to be away for for a couple of weeks and i've been waiting all year to see erythronium joanna came back and there was a little shriveled up pink you never know when it's going to flower again that, that's for me with orchids you know I, despite mucking around with orchids for over half a lifetime i i, I still get this sense of excitement and thrill it, it's uh, it, it's the, the nearest thing to rekindle a childlike excitement i think mm-hmm. or i think it's, it's true of it or gardening as well you know with yeah. seed seed you know getting something to germinate that something was a little seed and then it was magic that's it, it is. I think that's what this whole podcast is about. I think we all have this childlike joy about plants that's why we're here. It is like magic. That's why children instinctively like gardening, because you take this, you know, this seed, you put it in some soil and then it can turn into anything like a sunflower. I mean, that's an oak yeah. tree. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were there any more bits of show and tell lurking over your uh, shoulder? Yes. <laughs> I love that you've picked a very sort of spring-like yellow display. Yes. Oh, look at that. You want to sit on Luigi's lap. (laughs) So which is this? This is a Calanthe. Uh, Used to be called Seaboldii. Now it's called Striata, is it? Yes. Yeah. The thing is with these, that they're, would you say they're hardy? In Uh, a protected, uh, uh, sheltered area. Yes, very sheltered area, yeah. Alex's mother grows hers in, in a garden, in her garden. That's up in sunny Nottingham. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I, I think Alan's just, I, I can feel Alan's excitement because East Ruston has such a microclimate. I can see you thinking immediately, where can I put this in the garden? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking my kitchen courtyard on the north side of a, a wall, which is very, very sheltered otherwise. I mean, it could, could work there, couldn't it? I think so. I mean, I was in Norwich uh, last weekend and I was really impressed by just how many things they in the garden here have done very badly actually Norwich are virtually untouched by yeah. and so I think I think you should try it well you had minus 15 yes. didn't you uh we had I think the the temperature that was recorded was minus 10 okay. or 11. uh but I know that around Cambridge definitely there were also minus 12 minus 13 so it was very. I mean, heat, heat, heat can work for you in 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 um, interesting ways. That terrible, well, not terrible, but the extreme heat we had last summer. Uh, some of the orchids I got at home started blooming, and I think it's because they had that blast of heat, and then it getting cooler again. Actually, also our dendrobium speciosum 
potentially could have benefited from two things. Um, the fact that we had decided or Phil decided to um, give it a cool rest. But then I was in contact with a colleague of mine from uh, Kew Gardens, and he said that he thinks that actually might be the heat. Then a way connects to, to this idea that we can try to do our best to make them bloom and be happy, but then there are external factors that are beyond our control and, you know, we cannot really do much about it. Yeah. It's very exciting that this is one that you could potentially have such an exotic looking plant outside in the UK in a sheltered spot. Are they hard to get hold of? I don't think so. I know. I, 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 mm. <laughs> yes, I, I, no, I wonder, I wouldn't have thought so because I think I, I give it dodging the question again. <laughs> Um, cyclopidiums are, um, are like paphiopedons, are slipper orchids. And up to about 10, 15 years ago, it was considered, well, they were very rare to see, so they cost a lot of money. But the Dutch, again, found a way to grow them, so and in, the, in great quantities. And they're now, you can get them for a tenner or even less. And they're hardy. You get slipper orchids, which are hardy in, in this country. So uh, yeah, that, that's something to look out for. I'm I'm sure I looked at uh, Calanthe. Um, I was looking for some Calanthe online, and I'm sure that there are some uh, suppliers, nursery suppliers in the UK. I don't remember names, unfortunately, <laughs> a long time ago. But I'm sure that there are probably if you look in sort of nurseries around Cornwall, probably you know is also where you can probably find yeah. sort of these kind of producers. I think Alan's looking instantly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think it's lightly scented as well. Am I correct, Phil? Yes. Yes, it is. So I like yeah. the synchronized sniff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's a new Olympic event, synchronized sniffing. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Should we should we talk quickly uh, about the Mamacophila? Yes. Um yes, so this out. Um, He's my gopher. <laughs> cool. This is a big boy. Yes. This, this is, is sorry, even, this is not even the biggest I think you can get. Yeah. You can definitely get bigger than this. Uh, this is Myrmacophila tipicinis from South America. It has a flower spike, not this one, but we have no. got some in flower spikes. We'll go up to about six feet oh. with big, blousy Come and get me flowers. Yes. <laughs> so, so exciting. So over the top. Yes. Look out for them in the glass house. Yes. <laughs> in, in about a month. Yeah. Uh, we got some in the in the ranges. Uh, and we'll, there's some others in the reserve house, which we'll bring out when, uh, uh, when it's in bloom. But the interesting thing about it is that a lot of orchids have what's called pseudobulbs, which you'll like this i cut one off <laughs> uh they all come in different shapes and sizes this is a pseudobulb which are, are water storage organs for when they're going through their dry season but this chappy here has hollow pseudobulbs now why would it do that because it lives in association with ants mm -hmm. and there's a little aperture down the bottom where the ants can crawl in and it's a symbiotic relationship the ants find shelter uh, keep away predators for mm -hmm. fierce ants and then finally die and provide food 
<laughs> so the inside, I think, of the pseudobulb almost acts as a gut system. It's very intricate and very, uh, it has all these little channels and uh, yeah, literally is where the ants do their things, uh, as uh, as Phil was saying. And I think also the ants feed on the nectary, nectar of the flowers. So the flower also provide nectar for the ants. That is amazing. Yeah. I thought ants and cyclamen were cool enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind living in some sort of plant stomach. I mean, that is... <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just wonderful. It's yes. wonderful. And when we first see the flower spike, you know, you, you've got to know where to peer down, but it comes from, I you can see my... Yeah, from around from here. From around there or there. And I've got an eye, you know, sort of a loop. <laughs> and I think, yes, there's one there. The trouble is you can always persuade yourself of something which you want it to be. But uh, <laughs> when... Uh, yeah, this is what we do usually. Like sometimes we go around the orchid collection in the reserves and we look at a plant and then we start sort of trying to poke the plant to see if there's a flower. And then we start sort of doing wishful thinking of, okay, let's hope there is a flower, let's hope there is a flower. There will be a flower, yes, yeah. there will be a flower. Yeah. It's such it's a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> you fool, you fool. And you mentioned yeah. this kind of hokey-cokey of, of moving things in the collection around. I mean, it's not just the orchids, obviously, the Alpine house, you'll be moving things in and out as they come into season. But with that many orchids, it's actually quite important to figure out what's, what's about to flower, what are we going to replace this one that's going over with? I mean, it's a whole aspect of running a botanic garden people don't even think about. Yeah, we uh, for myself, I, I think it's important for um, the public to see the orchids because we're not a museum. You know, it would be silly saying we've got some fantastic orchids. Oh, no, you won't, you won't be able to see them because they're just for us. <laughs> um, so that, I spend most of my time at this time of year swapping orchids around uh, because in the spring then you come to repotting and dividing chopping up orchids for propagation all sorts of stuff but uh, at the moment it's just uh, getting them out there and is that chopping up is that dividing harder with with some than others or is it a relatively i've never done this to an orchid i don't know if it's difficult with ones with uh pseudobulbs and with the rhizomes it's it's very very easy it really is very easy. It's like dividing an iris, a clump of iris. And they're so tough. I've actually, on occasion, got two forks. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. We've got a um, one coming in. It's in flower spike now called a Neo Maria. Mm. Uh, is it Wallisii? Yeah, Wallisii. Wallisii. It's got these fantastic orange uh, blooms which we got from Amsterdam Botanic Garden. I think it was the only orchid they had. It was extraordinary. And uh, we we set about dividing this. It was quite a big plant, but we did it just with brute strength and took uh, our bit home. And it's just grown into a massive plant now, which is fantastic. Fantastic. So that ought to be in flower in two or three weeks. Yes, I guess They've so. Got, I think it's got five flower spikes. Yes. Yeah. And it's already in the display. So again, yeah. come and look. And it was called Neo Maria. It's for real nerds. Uh, because Maria, as you know, is a in the Iris family. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and so they yeah. Neo means new. So they just put Neo in front of it, not to confuse people. There's enough confusion. Basically, it looks like a Maria. 
Well, actually, it does. I mean, I would. I'm not sure it does. In the sense, <laughs> that the leaves are very different uh, because, like, Neomoria has these leaves that actually look a bit, as we were saying uh, um, a few days ago, they look like palm palm leaves. Yes. So they are actually very different from uh, a moria, yeah. which has more like stripy iris-like yeah. leaves. Um, so I'm not sure why it's association <laughs> with Moria, but no, I don't know. But the leaves are so fantastic. It, it, for the leaves alone, it would be enough. Yes. Uh, so it's very, very handsome. And these fantastic flowers. I can only imagine what Alan's Flomo was getting like over all of these plants. <laughs> <laughs> Have you any more show and tell before we Flomo it up? Um I don't leave anything These are such colossal plants. They're just so beefy. Well, these are all divisions, started off as divisions. You know, I chopped them up, you know, and pop them off separately, and they they just romp away. This is Lelia anceps, A-N-C-E-P-S, from Mexico. This is a particular variety called Vecchiae, uh, which has slightly different lip color here you can see what i was saying about the lip it's quite obvious yeah that this is the uh different from the other other segments mm -hmm. and would do really really well as a house plant mm -hmm. it's really it's a cool grower but it will accept warmer temperatures as well in the winter and it always flowers but you can't stop it flowering and um i would recommend this um and what else can we recommend as houseplants? I think the Sologenes. Yes. Sologenes are a, a large family, 200 species from Southeast Asia. Uh, soft leaves, so you keep them away from sun. Uh, they like humidity, like being wet, but they do well as houseplants. There will be a plant list. I'm looking forward to yeah. smelling them all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 no, really, it's, it's a large plant, and you, they, would do, they would do well as... Uh, Plants. One other thing as, as house plants, keep them away from radiators. Mm -hmm. You know, dry, hot, dry. They do not mm -hmm. like. It's hardly yeah. an orchid which would which would like that. Mm -hmm. But as a house plant, I think they do really well. Yes, I think Cristata and Nitida, we were saying, are probably the species that. I mean, Cristata for sure. In my experience, Nitida I never tried it, but uh, I think they they would both perform very well in. Cristata is found in the Himalayas. And sunrise is covered in snow mm -hmm. in the winter, so that's a, that's tropical because people expect uh, uh, tropical to mean hot, steamy jungles. Well, that's true of uh, lowland species, which largely you don't see because they're difficult difficult to grow, except in in botanical gardens, botanic gardens. I'm sorry. If you find out where the plant grows naturally, mm -hmm. if it grows five thousand meters up. You've got a clue as to what kind of conditions it would like. Bathrooms are really good for growing orchids in. Lots of uh, humidity generally, not generally too bright. No. Uh, so there's a lot to be done in a bathroom. I, I saw on, on YouTube the other day someone had bought a shower unit. And for, for orchids. For orchids. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
Um, and you had well, some contraption having uh, it was crazy. It's something but, actually I wanted to, to bring up when uh, Alan and I went to the the Chelsea Flower Show one year recently, and I can't remember if it was the September one or the the spring one, the May one, but there was um these amazing mega terrariums, big mm. cases where they were simulating particular conditions they're obviously very expensive but with more and more of these terrariums becoming fashionable i just wondered if they kind of opened up a whole world of orchids that people might be able to grow because you are creating such a microclimate yes I, uh, and it's a cheap when i say cheap it's cheaper um uh, and you get there are lots and luigi loves the miniatures yeah uh, especially well so do i but uh, you know i think you especially like them perfect for terrariums and uh yeah they're brilliant there are some amazing miniatures you can make terrariums out of virtually anything you know some people just get plastic bottles and chop a bit off and have it yeah it doesn't have to be expensive or look nice jars as well yes yeah and i i guess as you were telling me uh it can it can sort of get out of hand (laughs) If you yes. look at a jar at a certain point, you just are thinking, oh, that could be a terrarium. <laughs> They're naturally put in jam or other yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs jam? Uh, so, yeah. Luigi, are there any particular miniatures that you would like to highlight? Uh, well, so I think probably um, what I like, so there are very few, uh, there are quite a lot of species, but what I like in particular is Phalaenopsis lowii. Uh, which is very tiny species. It's not a jewel orchid, which is probably the group of orchids which is more famous for terrariums. Uh, this is a, a slightly different one. It grows epiphytically and uh, uh, it produces flowers, uh, which are very tiny Phalaenopsis flower. Um, or um, bulbophyllums would be good. Yes, as well. You get so some bulbophyllums are very small, uh, and you can contain the smell. <laughs> um, but but again, it's, it's spisotics. They have dozens of dozens of um, miniature orchids, which are, are just so sweet, so lovely. Schoenorchis, yes, Schoenorchis fragrance. Oh, hello! Oh, <laughs> she she's oh. come to join us. Yeah, oh, she has. Sweet. Funnily she enough, disturbed my... by somebody at the door. You see. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, my little pooch just turned up as well. Oh, fantastic. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. Oh, sweet. He said, I just wanted to tickle. Actually, I'm off. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I mean, miniatures, I, I assume that in the same way that lots of houseplants have captured a younger audience, miniatures perhaps are helping to attract maybe a younger generation into, well, gardening full stop, but also kind of orchid care, um, hopefully. Excitingly, yeah, I really hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so many uh, to choose from. Well, it, it does actually bring certainly me around to to Flomo. This idea of this sort of flower or plant that's giving you a fear of missing out because you just mentioned jewel orchids, and whenever I find myself in a house plant shop, there's always some absolutely beautiful jewel orchid leaf there normally priced at about 26 pounds and uh, i just think i'm gonna kill it i you know i can't possibly bring that home um and tell the other half i've spent 26 pounds on two leaves that are <laughs> probably about to shrivel up and die uh so how um how easy are they to to make a success of i don't think they're easy okay. to be honest with you they're forest 
floor to others. So they don't like a lot of light. They have a lot of humidity. They grow in um, rubbish, as Alan says. There is one which is easy, which you can get at any supermarket, which is Ludicia discolor, mm. uh, which is very beautiful. Um, a lot of the jewel orchids have, obviously they do flower. The flowers are, are not spectacular, are not grown for that reason. However, they grow well in terrariums. You put them in a, a out of the direct sun. We've got some growing at home, which are fantastic. But I, I, the thing is, if you recommend things to people who are not experienced with iris, uh, with orchids, um, <laughs> or iris, and they and they kill them. <laughs> Sorry, or, or, or iris, or iris. <laughs> or iris yes, <laughs> and they kill them. They get discouraged. What we yeah. don't want to do is to get to almost fulfil their low expectations of of how difficult orchids mm. are. Yeah. So I would re- recommend the ones that are you're not going to kill. They're easy to flower. But I wouldn't start off with a jewel orchid, quite frankly, no. unless you knew what you were doing. But with terrariums, again, as long as you leave them alone and give them occasional spray, maybe a bit more spray in the summer, and, and congregate them around each other because they benefit from being close in a in a colony because they've got humidity, they maintain the humidity around the plant. It's worth saying that with house plants, full stop. Actually, if you've got house plants that want humidity, grouping them is a way of creating that. Yes. And you know, Alan's always saying plants are sociable creatures; they want to be. Together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and one other advantage of growing as house plants is you get less pests and diseases. Yeah, which, uh, you can control more easily, and also if you have a small collection, it's a lot easier to, you know, have a pick up your plants, look at them, you know. Yeah. Don't assume everything's all right. And the one at the back never gets looked at. It's exactly the same here. You think, well, how that's doing. It's going to be so heavy. I'm going to have to move all these plants. All this is going on in the subterranean level. <laughs> Eventually, I think, I must have a look at that. And it's just covered in mealy bugs or whatever. And you feel <laughs> terribly guilty. Um, <laughs> Neglect. Yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. guilt, guilt is a constant companion of orchid growers. <laughs> They come back with orchids and they try and smuggle them back into the house uh, because they, it, I don't know what it is. They, they always try and, oh, just bought a couple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, I'm not going to spend more than X. And then you spend X and you see something you really want. And you, it's amazing what you can persuade yourself about. Well, don't worry, Alan's just been, you know, hoovering up the plants at the Snowdrop Fair a, a, uh, a little while back, and we all know what snowdrops can cost. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> how yes. did that go? <laughs> I won't tell you how much one of his bills was. I overheard. Oh, <laughs> some, of, some of the plants here that we've got, if you wanted to buy them uh, from orchid nursery, it would cost hundreds of pounds. Mm. Yeah. Hundreds of pounds. Um. Anyway, I'm not, good, not good job you've got good security. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before we move on to your flomo, um, you mentioned spraying them. What do you feed with at the botanic garden? Uh, we use um, so different type of feeds. We have one which is the basic one, uh, ultraviolet, which has this red color, which is diluted then with water, and uh, I would say it is a balanced fertilizer with uh, NPK. Uh, by its very high dilution because orchids differently from other plants need less nutrients 
So it's a bit like feeding cacti. I think orchids and cacti sort of have a similar feeding regime. You just have a much diluted uh, fertilizer. Uh, and then once in a while, because of our water being um, sort of low in nutrients, which is what orchids like, like orchids like rainwater. So we have once in a while also fertilizing with uh, sort of um, fertilizer that has more calcium and magnesium, which are nutrients that lack in the other fertilizer. So we sort of integrate them once in a while. Yeah. But either, for those who are growing them at home, either use a specialist orchid fertilizer, which you can get at, at most supermarkets or, or uh, Scottsdale's or wherever, uh, or if you're using a, a general fertilizer, dilute it to half or even quarter. Mm. Uh, because you, then you're going to get build up of salts and all sorts of stuff, which they won't they won't like. Glad I asked. Right then, you two, Luigi, Phil, where are you at with your Flomo? Are there things on your wish list, either personally or, you know, for the garden itself? Um, I think for the garden, I would like to have a Phalaenopsis gigantia. Ah, which I know something... you've been lusting on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've mentioned this one a yeah. few times. Yeah. <laughs> which is a Phalaenopsis species, uh, but I actually love the genus Phalaenopsis Uh uh, because there are so many interesting species, and uh, this one is quite cool because it's a massive Phalaenopsis. Like the leaves, uh, the are, leaves are huge. Yes, yes, they can reach probably one meter if if bigger in size, yeah. and uh, and they have these very pendulous uh, inflorescences. I've never seen it. Um, I, I've seen some pictures. I've never yeah. really seen it in sort of life because actually it's quite difficult to grow. Uh, it doesn't. It does hate root disturbance. Uh, you can only grow it epiphytically, uh, which is not necessarily the easiest of things. So, yeah, that is on my wish list. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, there's a genus called Corianthes, popularly known as the bucket orchid, because the lip has been evolved into into a what looks roughly like a bucket. And it, the plant has two faucets, I think they call them in America, little taps where it drips oh. this liquid into the bucket the male euglossine b which is not terribly intelligent smells all these pheromones and falls in to this lovely gloop uh stinking of pheromones and it gets smashed out of its head <laughs> and can only exit the plant through these little steps in the lip uh, as it slowly dries out and get further and further. And the only way you can get out of the plant is over the stigmatic surface of the, of the flower. That's just brilliant. <laughs> anyway, we've got one, uh, which is now two, uh, divided, Corantius mm -hmm. um, bacrantha. These are from South America. The scent is amazing, absolutely amazing, and not often seen. And we, we've managed to persuade ours into flower where others... Have not, but we don't boast, <laughs> we don't boast about that at all. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, we're very. I'd love more species of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, because I don't know how many species there are. Maybe twenty five. Not sure. Yeah, but they are amazing. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, seeing it when I was a trainee. Uh, yeah. about five years ago and we had a specimen blooming in tropical wetlands and it was just incredible as as Phil was saying it just looks like a bucket with sort of wings 
Ended in the air. That was just incredible. Yeah, look at look it up. Yeah, Uh, it's fantastic, fantastic. Yes, I'd get very excited if we got more species. (laughs) I'm just looking at uh, pictures of Phalaenopsis gigantea, and I mean, so impressive. Yes, just huge. Alan is is a big fan of size. (laughs) (laughs) Who isn't? (laughs) <laughs> Size is <laughs> oh, thanks Luigi <laughs> so so Alan where where are you uh, where are you at then after all of these different plants from ones that might even be hardy enough to be outside to some which are significantly sizable are you are I'm you de- I'm definitely going to try Calanthus striata because I mean I've just looked it up and Edrum Adrom nurseries have it, Quebec plants have it. I'm definitely going to find out about bisotics because that is just in, really intrigued me. I mean, I, I I just wish I had more knowledge on, on some of these wonderful orchids that you've talked about. Um, I have to say I'm not terribly fond of Phalaenopsis as a genus because, well, I've heard I say as a genus, that's wrong. Um because I've been flooded with everything that you see in Marks and Spencers and goodness knows where else. And, you know, they, I think they're, they've, they've become ubiquitous, haven't they really? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and because if, oh, I, I would want to encourage people to do this, but the other thing about it, they're cheap. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. if you kill them, you just go out and buy another one. Well, when it finishes, people throw them away. When it finishes, yeah, well, yes. yes. I mean, yeah. they use it as a, you know, you get another one. Yeah, and you can't see a, um, anybody on the TV in an office or in a sitcom or in a drama where there's a, a white phalaenopsis on, on the windowsill. <laughs> but I, I have to say that uh, on behalf of Luigi, that uh, phalaenopsis species not the spots out of any cultivar, blousy cultivar, yes. yeah. you know, any species. I would suggest also, which are amongst my favourite, Schilleriana and Stuartiana, uh, because they have marmorated leaves. If if you show a picture, like it's, they're just incredible and they're just worth growing for the leaves, not for the flowers, but for the leaves. And we can say that generally you grow orchids for the flowers, <laughs> not for the leaves, but these ones are also for the leaves because the leaves are just as incredible. I can see that I'm going to have to come to the Cambridge Botanic Garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're planning a visit just for our own our own selves so uh so i'm sure you'll see us peering into orchid flowers at some point (laughs) in the not too distant future this has been as mind-blowing as inspiring as i thought i i like alan you know i mean he's got a lot more knowledge than me but i just hope one day i can have acquired just a smidgen of the knowledge that you guys have about orchids that they are astonishing they are amazing i can see phil how you've dedicated half a lifetime to them and get excited about them because they're amazing yeah absolutely absolutely well, I've been sitting here and I mean, you know, you, you, Phil, I think you said, you know, the other half is churning away in here. My other half has been churning away in here. <laughs> and that is I'm currently mucking out a greenhouse. Um, it's a lean to on, on a wall. Um, it, it It's frost free, but it has this intriguing. It's got a brick base. So it has this intriguing area underneath the staging and I'm sort of visualizing that either hanging from the staging or underneath the staging, I could have. The beginnings of an interesting orchid collection, perhaps. Well, Meanwhile, careful. I get to grips with, 
I'll it's get a to very dangerous back. road you're travelling there. <laughs> I never did anything. Snowdrop, for instance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I think I've got to get to, drip, get to grips with my dendrobium. And actually, I mean, it's growing well. It's producing lots of leaves and stuff. And I need to get those roots hydrated, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, send a, send a picture over. You know, we'll try and identify it. And well, I'd be interested to see, you know, yeah. how it does. Yeah. <laughs> So well, Alan. well, you've inspired me, I, I have to say. Um, and I think it's it's people like you, people like me, where our gardens are, we're on, we're on show, we're open to the public. And I don't think it's just for us that we want to grow these wonderful things and preserve them and keep them going. It is for people to see and for people to share. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And yeah. also, the, some of the things we grow here are probably extinct in the wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, that's more special. as well yeah. yeah and if you know if cambridge university botanic garden isn't local to you i am extremely lucky that it's local to me then obviously they're they're generally hopefully not too far away a botanic garden they won't have fill so they might not have quite as many uh orchids in a flower <laughs> but <laughs> but certainly plenty of interesting things to see so go support your anybody's listening garden. to this podcast and they're in norfolk or, well in norfolk i would say because you know you've got all you've got is, is you've got a train station that goes straight to Cambridge. It takes an hour. You've got a 10 minute walk and you're in heaven. Yeah, yeah. it's right there. It's literally down the road from Cambridge yeah. Central train station. Yeah, especially... On the Cambridge North. That is <laughs> that is a no man's land. No one wants to go to. I've heard bad things about that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have never been seen again. <laughs> Definitely go for Cambridge Central. But yeah, if you can get the train, it's very easy by train so you can just and also you know there'll, there'll be flower orchids out every every day of the year and in fact the probably midsummer is the least you know they're doing their growing yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah all welcome it has been an absolute treat thank you so much to both of you luigi phil you so you've inspired us i think everybody watching and listening to this is going to want to grow and try at least one other different uh, type of orchid so thank you very much and until next time happy gardening happy gardening everybody <laughs> thanks a lot hey Fordis here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.